what it can blow up planets like do these things exist it's like no <laughs> no they do not exist they're as not going to come blow up the earth <laughs> yeah, <not> yeah. <laughs> until until they, bezos finally gets up there yeah there might be some aliens out there who knows blowing up planets it's possible you know their way over here imagine imagine bezos making the death star with an even bigger penis ship and then you know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta make a pair of these things. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Jesse. I'm Mike. And I'm Vito, here with some original Greaser Bob energy. <laughs> we are joined by Liz. Uh, Liz, do you have the same energy? I can't say that I have dad energy, as, as far as I know. But yeah, I used to, whenever uh, people ask me if I have kids, I'm like, no, not that I know of. <laughs> They'd be like... What? <laughs> you just got, like, really messed up at some point in your life. You have mystery kids? <laughs> yeah. but, huh. That's a great response. How often do you get that? Is this like, like a regular occurrence? That doesn't yeah. ever happen to me. In fact, I took my son to the gym today so he could be watched. <laughs> and the lady watching him was just like, is this your kid? I was like, well, I've, yeah. I've heard that happens to dads a lot because they just like assume that you're like not part of the, the picture at all. <laughs> you like uh, walk in holding his hand. People are like, is this your kid? I found this kid. Did you want this kid? I don't want this kid. I mean, there's no Maybe way I, that you're not going to say yeah. yes. Like who says no? I don't know. She's like, well, sometimes people bring in their cousin's kids or whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I would not so do that for my cousin. Like, you procreated? <laughs> Congratulations. Sir. Yeah, yeah. she was complimenting my son, so it was like, it, she definitely couldn't compliment me, because I was like sweaty <laughs> after the workout or whatever. <laughs> anyway, but we're here to talk about our kids in the context of movies, most specifically in the context of modern westerns, because we love modern westerns, and the modern western we're here to talk about today is True Grit from 2010. Are you a man with True Grit, Jesse? Of course I am. Of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. Still are. I don't know. Spoken by real Labeef. <laughs> I mean, I think Labeef should be a compliment, right? You're the yeah. You're the the big beef. Oh yeah, the, the beef. <laughs> <laughs> so why are we doing True Grit in our modern Western series? Uh, I think that we decided when we were doing all this that we were going to do three or four, right? And then we cut out one and we're like, all right, we're going to lock down these three. We're going to get Unforgiven, the father of the revisionist genre from the father of the, of the revisionist genre. Right. And then we decided we would do 310 DMO, just like a, a rough and tumble cross of both the old school and the new. And then the True Grit, which is like a remake, not a remake. It's another movie based on the same novel. And it's very different from its predecessor. But that movie was like historical for John Wayne and for Westerns as a whole. And it's weird seeing it done in a different way. At least that, that's why I was interested in doing it. Uh, what did you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, same, same thing. Coen Brothers Western is definitely a modern Western. It came out in 2010, um, which is modern in my book. 
yeah, it's it's a interesting take by some interesting directors of of an old genre of an old story. So it seemed to fit the bill real well. And it's also one yeah. of Jesse's favorite movies. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was gonna hold back on that. That is basically the the reason why I really wanted <laughs> this movie. It's one of my favorites. And I wanted to slip it in somewhere. And so I think I came up with a series of modern westerns just to put this in here. Because <laughs> I, I like I love this movie enough to do that. Yeah, and I grew up watching the original True Grit. And that's been a classic for me. And this one is even better. And I can't wait to talk about this even more. But also, Liz, I wanted to ask, why did you say yes to doing this movie with us? Well, I just, I love the Coen brothers. I think they're like, they're probably the best modern artists of our time. That's, I guess, redundant. But yeah, I just, I just think that whatever they have a hand in is good because they have... They just have this really great vision and they always like pull in really obscure stuff too. Like I'm thinking about Inside Lewin Davis, their whole soundtrack for that is like picking from folk songs. Hail Caesar picks through like old Hollywood and they just seem like they just have so much knowledge. Yeah. And I'm not usually a big fan of Westerns, but I love True Grit and uh, I think they do a really great job with it. I haven't actually seen the original. It kind of surprises me to hear that you grew up with the old one and you still can say like, yeah, this is better. Cause usually when you grow up with something, you're like, well, you know, you're a little <laughs> bit uh, biased against the new thing. But yeah, I, this movie is just like from the, the first time I watched it, I've seen a bunch of times now, but the first time I watched it, I was like enthralled with the whole thing. That's cool. Well, I'm glad you're here to talk about it more, but before we jump into it all, Vito, do you want to tell us a little bit, a little bit more about the Coen brothers and who else made this movie? Absolutely. <laughs> That's some gritty energy right there. <laughs> this is very gritty. I'm going to move the mic just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you oh, are yeah. you are ah! the furthest from us. Oh. He really? moved me. Really? You laughed, we cried. It's terrible. That's one of the worst ones. I got to come back. That's so stupid. So this is our second Coen Brothers movie after we just did uh, Fargo for our detective series. Listen back to that one. We, we discussed them quite a bit there. What you should know is that on this movie, they are two brothers. They're directors, writers, and editors. As Liz said, like they're some of the foremost artists uh, working today. I mean, were. There's been some some rumblings that maybe Ethan is done working. Um, what? Yeah. I know, I know that there was a Macbeth movie made, which I haven't seen yet. Just... It was it just on my Joel? Yeah, or, okay. just Joel. I wonder how have you guys seen that? It's not out yet. I know that it's kind of limp, like some people have somehow managed to see it, but bastards. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I want to see it, but I also am like just one of them. Yeah, it makes me it makes me wonder like who like without both, what's it going to look like? Like who is the more idiosyncratic yeah. of either one? Like who is it that really drives the style? Yeah. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they even have separate styles or if they push for different things. Because I always think of them as, like, just one mind. Yeah. I actually have heard that they were they worked together, like, really well and that they always agreed on stuff. So yeah. it makes me think that it'll, it'll still be quality. But, yeah, I'm still a little bit wary of just one, not the other. Absolutely. I think uh, when we were doing the Fargo episode, in some of the research, we found that 
their writing style is that Joel would be writing and Ethan would be lying on his back smoking cigarettes and they would just be talking in fragmented sentences back and forth and then they would produce a screenplay. Wow, that sounds like so much fun. It does. I would love that. You just got, you got like a half a brain with your brother. Yeah. But yeah, they've done such stuff as No Country for Old Ben. They've done this, they've done Fargo. They've done a ton of stuff that you've probably seen or at least heard of. And if you want to hear us discuss more of their filmography, you can go back and listen to the Fargo episode. And then if you want to hear us sort of discuss a little bit more of their technique, wait until sometime in this one. But uh, this is based on the novel by Charles Portis. This movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, Best Pick, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Lead Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Costume Design, Sound Mixing, Sound Editing. But this is also the year of the King's Speech, which was nominated for 12 Oscars and won for Best Actor, Picture, Director, and Original Screenplay. Kind of sad. This one got shut out for so much, but it yeah. was it was kind of a crazy year. This is, I think, like the first or the second year the Academy allowed 10 Best Picture nominations. So there was a lot of movies in contention. Hmm. We'll have to do 2010 in overview sometime because it's a wild Oscar race. They're taking it into contention? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, this stars, though, Jeff Bridges, uh, Academy Award nominated for his roles in The Last Picture Show, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which is a weird nomination. Um, Starman, also a weird nomination, <laughs> The Contender, and uh, he wins for Crazy Heart the year before this, nominated for this one, and also nominated for Hell or High Water, which is for sure a stay tuned, for sure. But he's also known for The Fisher King, The Big Lebowski, Tron, Iron Man, and next year is going to be in a limited series on Hulu called The Old Man. Ooh. With John Lithgow, where Jeff Bridges plays a retired assassin. But yeah, next year. We'll check in with that. Yeah. <laughs> Following up, we got uh, Matt Damon, who made his debut in Mystic Pizza, which is one of me and my wife's favorite movies to watch. Um, and it rules, and everyone should see it. He plays a little kid, and it's weird seeing a Matt Damon face on uh -huh. like a 12-year-old. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> yeah. back, and I can't remember him in that movie. Oh, you seen that one? Uh, yeah, I nice. did not like it. What? <laughs> um, Get out. No, I just was like, okay. At the end, I was like, okay. There's nothing mystic about the pizza. Is that what you didn't get? Uh, no, no, no. I just like was not wowed by it, I guess. That's a bummer. Sorry. That's a bummer. All right. <laughs> I was I was like looking for a chick flick, mm -hmm. which it's not really. It's not really. So, you know, maybe if I was if I wasn't like, you know, hungering for a chick flick, uh, I would have enjoyed it more. But I was like. It's actually like way more serious. Yeah, like, exactly. You, you tune into it and you're <laughs> yeah, like, oh, like, like early Julia Roberts. You're like, oh, no, yeah, this is sad. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But then he's also in School Ties, Courage Under Fire, Chasing Amy, The Rainmaker, Goodwill Hunting, Saving Private Ryan, Rounders, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Titan A, The Ocean's Trilogy, The Boring Trilogy, The Departed, The Informant, The Martian. Oh my gosh. Like it's it's kind of ridiculous how much he works. I, I found multiple years where he's in like four or five movies. Wow. He never stops. And then still this year, he's in No Sudden Move, Stillwater, and then upcoming The Last Duel. I, I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. Also, do you guys remember him with 30 Rock? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Love that show. Yeah, he's no, wait, he's in 30 Rock? He, he yeah. has like this, he's a pilot and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He plays Liz uh, Lemon's boyfriend for like Carol. three. Yeah, Carol. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he has, he has some of the best lines too. Like when he uh, when he's like, you know, Liz, it just gets really hard flying to city after city every single night, a different woman, all meaningless. I just want grown up love. <laughs> he's also an interstellar. We forgot to call up that one. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is that, I have a question about this. Seriously. Is that a spoiler still? I feel like that's still a spoiler. What? That he's in it? Because if you remember, he's not on any of the posters. And when we saw that movie, it was like a huge surprise that he was in it. 
Okay, well, I haven't seen it, so I didn't. Oh. Know. I didn't. Yeah, I'll have to see it. Like, oh, you guys ruined it for me. <laughs> it's it, yeah. It's just mostly shocking because he wasn't advertised, and then you go yeah. like, oh, I love hi. that. But he does he have like a major role? In oh it? yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, since but we he's not spoiled. in it a ton, is he? I, he's, I don't hardly. He's in it for about kind of, twenty minutes. Yeah. That's kind of a cool move because usually, if you're making a movie with that big of a name, they're like, "We're going to advertise this," but they've kept it till I, I mean, I no, haven't seen it. Didn't know. No one knew. Yeah, but I feel like that's just a cool. thing that he does at this point. Like in No yeah. Sudden Move. Yeah. Was he advertised? As not an not initially. Yeah. And then after the movie came out, then I like started quietly seeing posters where okay. it had it like lost his name and the other names. But like he shows up in No Sudden Move yeah. as a really important character for half the movie. And yeah. you go like, oh, hi, Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like right at the end. The yeah. end is long. But yeah. Yeah. He does that with other stuff. I, I, I mean, like with 30 Rock. 30 Rock. Yeah. He shows up in 30 Rock. Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. Yeah. He really just likes to show up in things, I think. Thor oh, Ragnarok. So he's play- Wait, he's in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, he he's playing Loki in a little play that is happening oh at Asgard. Oh my god! It's like it's like one minute. That's so cool. And then he dies in in the play, and they're like, "Wow, like good job! It was amazing what you did." And Loki's like, "It sucked." <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to be said about Matt Damon. I really like this guy, and he's in lots of things. I just realized maybe I don't like him that much because I've forgotten he's in most of these things. I, really? It, it's, you forgot he was in the Bourne quadrilogy? I, I knew that one. I knew it was that <laughs> and like the Oceans trilogy. But like I forgot he was in 30 Rock. I've well, actually forgot really about small, Interstellar. Like... Yeah. I, I think that it's just it's just the amount of work. Like you, you see someone like DiCaprio, you remember every DiCaprio movie because there's only one in like every two or three years. Yeah. Um, but him putting out all this stuff all the time, constantly being a character actor or just popping in for a cameo, it, it it's easy to just forget that he, he in the nineties there, from Courage Under Fire all the way over to Titan AE and Ocean's Eleven, like he was on an unbelievable streak of hits. And there was no stopping him. Matt Damon, otherwise known as the richer, the rich man's Jesse Plemons. Yes. <laughs> also known I, as Matt Damon. <laughs> I call Jesse Plemons the fat Matt Damon. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say that. My family calls, calls him fat Matt. Yeah. Fat Matt. That's good. <laughs> Poor Jesse. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sucks for him. But uh, he's a great actor. He's a great and actor very, with that one uh, very specific role that he does in everything that he's ever in. And he's married to Kirsten Dunst, though, so I don't know if we need to feel too bad for him. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. We can call him Fat Man. Yeah. <laughs> Twelve-year-old uh, me hates him. Twelve-year-old <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, actually, on the same note, Matt Damon was probably my first celebrity crush. Back nice. In the day. Yeah. Wait, oh, which, which the, movie? The Bourne movies. I was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh. oh yeah. <laughs> so it was just the close cropped hair and just the expressionless face. It was. I, it was just like the general badassness of him. Um, Sticks that pen in the guy's hand. Yeah, I remember that. So that fight cool. scene. That fight scene is pretty cool. Matt yeah. Damon. Matt Damon's. He's, all hail. He's the man. <laughs> I can't wait to do all the Bourne movies. Well, I know three of the Bourne movies. Three out of the five. Yeah, it'll be well. Yeah. <laughs> Like I like Legacy. I do not like Jason Bourne. I do not like that last movie. That I saw that in theaters, and it, uh, wow, maybe maybe it's better than I remember it being. But I just remember being so disappointed. Wait, which one is the one that um that what's his name? Legacy. Okay. Yeah, this one is Renner. Renner. Yeah. 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 He's he's, he's okay. Clint Martin, but that's not Clint. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Uh, I think I almost fell asleep in that one in the theaters. Yeah. I oh. have no interest in revisiting that one. 
I just I have it up on my shelf in 4K. So I gotta I gotta huh. try it at some point. Huh. <laughs> just because I bought it. Huh. <laughs> just a complete what made collection. You, all right, just out of curiosity, what made you say like I need the Born Legacy in 4K? Because they were selling the box set of all of them and it was like 30 bucks. Oh, so, that's like ten dollars per good movie. Yeah. And I figured again, I got these these other two movies, so that's okay, I guess. Yeah, that's like just two free movies, in my opinion. It's it's why I bought the that's why I bought like the original, the OG Batman movies, like Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and then Batman and Robin. I got that for like ten bucks on Blu-ray. So yeah, five dollars yeah. per good movie. There you go. <laughs> Is anybody I, else in this movie? Other yeah. than Matt Damon, because I think Brolin. it's just Matt Damon. Josh Brolin. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just Matt Damon at it, this point. It's unrecognizable, Josh Brolin, because he has a yeah, unibrow. Yeah, he looks so different, and he talks so differently. He's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Un- I had to look it up and like look up pictures of him and be like, wait a second. And I was like looking at my phone and looking at the screen. <laughs> I, I, I was like, wait, that guy looks kind of like Josh Brolin. I wonder if I've seen him in anything else. And then it was Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, if he'd been like kicked in the head by a horse at yeah. a very young age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but he started out in the Goonies, right? And then uh, worked as a character actor for a long time. Obviously, a son of the, the famed Mr. Brolin. And uh, he's also in the Valley of Allah. He did the Coens, you know, he and the Coens worked really well together in No Country for Old Men. They said, thank you for starring in our in our Academy Award winning film. Would you like to come be the bad guy in our new film? And he was like, okay, I, I guess. <laughs> um, Wait, so sorry, No Country for Old Men was, for, was before True Grit? Yep, 2007. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's also an American gangster. He, he, you remember him as W? W. Bush? Did you guys ever see that movie? No. I oh wait, no. American Gangster. I did see that in theaters like years, years ago. Nice. So. I forgot he was in that. And then uh, he's also the bad guy in Milk. He's ostensibly the good guy in Jonah Hex, which I did watch just the other night because I was editing and really bored, and I wanted something that was on the screen. That was a really bad. Mis- that was a bad mistake. That's a terrible movie. That's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I only, I'm only calling it out because I saw it like the last two weeks. <laughs> he's also an Inherent Vice, Sicario One and Two, Hail Caesar, Deadpool Two, and of course he's Thanos. You know, he's Thanos, the role of a lifetime. Um, and we'll see him later this year in Dune. Um, okay, wait, I, I, sidebar. On a scale of one to 10, how excited are all of you for Dune? Jesse? Like an eight. An eight, quite high, quite high. Yeah, quite high. I, I'd say eight too, yeah. yeah. I hate to just go with the crowd, but I was gonna say eight right before Jesse said it. <laughs> <laughs> She had eight first. Uh, eight, yeah, eight, eight's definitely the number for me. I read the book, loved it. Oh, wow. But uh, have not read the others. Don't think I will. But I, yeah, I liked the book, and I think it'll be good. I'm stoked. I'm pretty stoked. Am I also the only one in here that has not read the book? I, I've read You'll it. You'll have to read it, Vito. Yeah. yeah. Wow, seriously? <laughs> I don't love the book. Oh, really? I, I feel, I mean, I don't know. I was looking for an awesome sci-fi epic where a lot of stuff happened, and mm-hmm. it was an awesome sci-fi epic where a not slow. a lot yeah. happened. That's, that's like. a good point. It is kind of slow. Yeah, I just liked, I liked the world building in mm-hmm. it. Like, it was, it was, and I was living in Phoenix at the time, so I was like, yeah, this is basically my life. <laughs> <laughs> the spice. Yeah. It's all about the spice. Uh, yeah, it's this really hot it planet. Where... Too, so, uh, <laughs> no, but it was... Yeah, they're just like the whole like the, the suits that they have to wear because yeah. it's so hot and drinking everything that you know the water 
from your yeah. body, etc. Because um, that's what we do I, over I, in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. We, we drink our own sweat in Phoenix. <laughs> the water crisis is out of control. The big worms. <laughs> the big giant worms. Yeah. Those are cool. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, are you excited yeah. for this? Uh, yeah, how excited are you? I'm about a five. Wow. Yeah, I'm about a five. Cool. Is that because you think it's going to just totally fail? No, no. I think that it's been sold to me as the first half of a story. Yeah. And mm -hmm. for it already being like two and a half hours long and there yeah. not being any guarantee of there being a second one, it makes me, it, it kind of makes me like, 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 like your rule about not starting fantasy series before they're finished, because like, I've the been mistake burned I've too made, many times. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to be burned this time. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty I'm pretty over how freaking long it has taken them to release it. They're like, eh, yeah. you know, because it's been done for like a year and a half. Yeah. It's just just freaking release it, man. Yeah. Yeah. You got to just do it. I mean, but I they know want to make sure they don't this, lose money. <laughs> yeah, they need their money. I, I imagine it was incredibly expensive. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. But anyway, anyway, I just I just wanted to do that sidebar because I, I just don't know how to feel about Dune. So thank you, guys. I guess I guess I will have to try and read Dune. Appreciate it. Um, but <laughs> coming up, we have we have a returning favorite here, uh, Haley Steinfeld from uh, Listen Back to Our Into the Spider Verse episode. She's we covered her career a little bit more there. Uh, upcoming, she's in the Hawkeye show on Disney Plus. Is Kate Bishop the new Hawkeye? Let's see what that's like. But you this... didn't you didn't uh, mention your your personal favorite movie of all time, Ender's Game. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> talking about making movies from sci fi books that that aren't good. That one. Yeah. That one. Yeah, that book horrible. is a classic. Um, and but it, it, was, this... it was never going to be a good movie, though. The book is like so cerebral almost. And and, and yeah. R-rated. It's so violent. Uh, it's like ridiculously yeah. violent. Remember he kills that kid by beating him up in the shower? Uh, oh, I forgot. Oh, no, no, I didn't forget about that. Yeah, no, he, he shoves his nose into his brain. Yeah, I remember yep. that. It's it's uh, it's really violent, and then they come out with like the PG thirteen Ender's game. I'm like, it's not your father's Ender's game. <laughs> in a bad way. In a bad way. Clear. In a bad way. <laughs> but rounding out everyone, Barry Pepper is as Lucky Ned. Uh, we got Donald Gleason here playing Moon. Um, Elizabeth Marvell as Adult Maddie, and J.K. Simmons as the voice of Jay Noble Daggett. Yeah, that's oh. crazy. I never knew that. He's not even credited anywhere at least in imdb so i had no idea that was coming it's, and it's, I, it's nice to like, hear I, I knew i recognized that voice oh that's so cool i like the coens just him. keep bringing the same people you know over and over and over again makes it feel like a family they're like the parents i don't know the incestuous gay parents of this giant family i guess <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you had to make it incestuous. I mean, they're brothers, so. Oh, they're I see. I see. I forgot. <laughs> Briefly. Well, thank you for the metal image. Fantastic. You're, you're welcome. I'm glad you appreciate that. Final note I wanted to make is that this is shot by Roger Deakins, and it's it's beautiful. This is this is some of his best work. I think it, just really incredible stuff. Again, listen back to which which one did we just do with Roger? Was that Fargo? No, I, was I think that it was Fargo. Fargo yeah. was the most recent one. Yeah. How, see, guys, we're, we're we're messing up here. We need to do more Roger. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. true. It's true. It's cool to see like the link between that and this. I, I definitely feel like it's visually very similar. Yeah. Can you can you say specifically how you see that? The very big wide shots of empty areas. Uh -huh. um, high contrast. Yeah, high contrast. Beautiful scenery. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He also uh, just the way that he that he kind of messes around with light. Like he talked a yeah. lot about how hard it is. He said the hardest shoot you can do is a night exterior mm -hmm. and they have to do so many night exteriors. And yeah. he was just talking about 
just so for instance the opening of the movie caused a lot of buzz just that that opening shot because a lot of cinematographers were saying like that's the best shot of the year how Wait, did you do that of uh fargo or uh true grit true grit. Okay. yeah uh the the slow, the slow undissolve onto yeah, the the corpse mm-hmm. in the middle yeah. of the night and it's kind of snowing and then the oh, horse yeah, yeah. rides off okay. but it's like zooming in on the corpse Mm -hmm. he talked about how difficult that was to do and how difficult it was to even like set it up. And it's actually really important that you open your movie that way. I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but he, uh, he does a lot of, he plays with light so much that you can't help but notice how beautiful everything is, Mm -hmm. how well he captures faces in, in varying degrees of light. Yeah. He's, he's he's wonderful. But anyway, sorry. And that's all I had actually. Uh, we could talk for hours about everyone that made it because mm-hmm. so many people put in so much work. This, yeah. I mean, obviously, because of all the Academy Award nominations. But yeah, yeah. And honestly, I don't normally notice cinematography that much, but the way it is in in this movie, and dude, I don't know, it captures everything like perfectly. The best way to film a scene is the way every scene in this movie is filmed. And yeah, <laughs> I guess I credit that to Roger Deakins now. Yes, um, it's all him. The yeah. Cohen, the Coens are just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that looks good. <laughs> and it's beautiful. And I'm glad they gave him that sort of leeway because this movie is amazing. Uh, speaking of how amazing this movie is, let's talk about nostalgia. Yeah, nostalgia. Mike, you had mentioned earlier you didn't like this movie as much when you first saw it. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when I first saw it, I guess I, I saw it in theaters in 2010. And I had just, I think I had just watched the original um, because I'd never seen it before. And I was dating a girl at, at the time who just absolutely loved it. So we went to go see it together. And I don't know. I just, I was kind of out on it. Maybe it had to do with the relationship more than anything. <laughs> I don't know. You're kind of out of it, meaning the relationship. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And and that's and that's what it was. I, I hope not. But it just didn't, it, it, like, it didn't work for me for some reason. I guess I didn't have good taste when I was 20. I know I didn't did. have good taste in tw- when I was 20. But watching it now, like, oh my gosh, I loved it. Uh, I watched it with my wife this time, who was a different person from that person. <laughs> and it was really fun to watch it with her. She loved it. It was it was a good time. Yeah, that's my, I don't know if I'd call it nostalgia. Your first impression back when. I feel like nostalgia is like a good sort of feeling. And that's just sort of like a, oh, this is what happened. <laughs> a thing that occurred. <laughs> this is a thing that occurred. <laughs> uh, what about you, Liz? My first impression. So whenever, whenever I watch a Western, I usually have the same, yeah, the same response, which, which is like, I don't want to watch that. Um, <laughs> and it was with my family and they're like, let's watch this Western. And I was like, okay. The thing is, is every time I watch a Western, I always enjoy it. I can't think of one that I was like, wow, I hated that. They're always good, but I never, I always kind of dread watching them for some reason. And yeah, this one in particular, I think this is probably my favorite Western that, I, that I've ever seen. And part, I think it might just be because I like the female character in it. It's nice to have like a girl in a Western that's like not just like some piece of meat who's like, you know, wearing a brothel outfit and, you know. Gets shaken a lot. <laughs> yeah, it gets shaken. I mean, there is a lot of spanking in general and there was spanking in this movie of the girl. So, you know, I guess that's maybe not, not great. But... He was threatened with death if he didn't stop though. Yeah, that Texas that's true. brush popper. Yeah, that is good. That's good. But yeah, I, yeah, I like. I really like the the it's like the fish out of water. Like this this young girl with these dudes, and I I think I that's probably why I really liked it the first time I watched it. And you know, 
have le- have loved it. I th- I think every time I've watched it since, I've liked it even more. Nice, cool. It's so. awesome. I do love the fish out of water vibe in this movie. Mm-hmm. It gives the whole western like a slightly different perspective because normally it's just like the rough and tough bad guy or the the guy who doesn't know anything rolls into town who's like a, happens to be a lawyer or something like that, and then he gets schooled by the the cowboy guy. Are you talking about the man who shot Liberty Valance again? I am talking about the man who shot Liberty <laughs> That's the... I know that exists in other movies. I can't remember which ones, but that is a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not even being sarcastic. No, it totally is. I'm just having a hard time thinking of another one as well. Yeah, it seems like a trope. Yeah, it's, it's a, a trope. trope. No. It's going to be a not-your-father's trope from now on. Yeah, it's definitely one, a trope. One, I say it one is. One point determines a line, all right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was really nerdy. <laughs> Thank you. Sometimes I do. Anyway, yeah, I really like that. That's cool. What do you think about this movie, though? I was actually super out on it the first time because I grew up in Wyoming. And in Wyoming, we worship God. You know, we, we love God. Big, big on God. And another person that we're big on, though, is John Wayne. <laughs> God, John, John Wayne. Wayne. But John Wayne was so sacred to us all, to myself growing up, that and also, <laughs> as, as a teenager, I was really big on, on shitting on Hollywood, you know, me who knew nothing. And so I remember when the remake of The Alamo came out, obviously also remaking the John Wayne classic, The Alamo. I remember going to our barber and the movie was was so contentious in my state that my barber brought would bring it up like multiple times as as pointing to like the crumbling of society <laughs> like, like i hear you see that remake of the alamo that they did he's like i i i don't even know if we won in that movie i refuse to watch it i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and so when this one came out talking to all my friends who all of us love john wayne everyone was like no why would you do this don't remake john wayne it's not good john wayne movies are the best how dare you and so people went and saw it and they're like yeah it was weird it was a weird movie you know it's just a weird hollywood artsy movie and I was like, oh, those, that sucks. Those are dumb. I hate those. And when I went to college, as usually happens uh, when you're away from your, your original pool of people who influence your thoughts, I started to think a little bit differently. When I found out that the Coen brothers had done it, I was very begrudging, but I did watch it. I still didn't like it. Not that I liked the original True Grit very much, but I just liked John Wayne a lot. And it took me a little bit of time to come around. But when I did, I came around all the way. Like this one is a five star for me. It's beautiful. Uh, it's incredible. And um, after rewatching the original one, too, in conjunction with this, I got to say, yeah, that, that original one is uh, is not not very good. <laughs> not not very good. <laughs> that one that one's better in nostalgia. This one is better for any time that you want to watch it. I got to say, I, really I do remember it. I do remember a lot of like remakes coming out then. I can't remember which ones there were, because now that I'm looking up famous remakes, none of them were the ones I'm thinking of, like The Amazing Spider-Man or. The other superhero one, Fantastic Four, which came out like yeah. five years after after this. But like I remember there being a mentality of remakes and sequels and threequels, right? Everything that started to be a franchise and people started to like really shit on it. Yeah. In twenty ten. And well, being I mean, very it, down it, on this movie when it first came out. You remember when we talked in Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Pirates of the Caribbean 3, and we did that long game about all the sequels, remakes, prequels, <laughs> threequels that all came out that year. Like, that year was insane. And I kind of remember that happening then, where every time me and my friends would want to go to a movie, they're like, I don't know, Shrek 3? Like, is there a movie that doesn't have a 3 in the title? They're like, well, National Treasure 2. I was like, off! <laughs> I mean, there was this mentality that, like, Hollywood is losing all its creativity because there are no original movies anymore. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah. I remember that. Still there. <laughs> it's it's still there. But I feel like everybody I've accepted it. I'm just like, yep, they're gonna <laughs> do this. And I may like it, and I probably but I probably won't. Yeah. I mean, if you look at all of, all our new release episodes, we've tried very hard not to pick things that are in the in that realm, and it's been really hard. <laughs> and we haven't liked the results very much. It's been a rough year for movies, guys. Mm-hmm. Except for Dune, which will be great. Oh we're, yeah, we're all <laughs> also the card counter guys. There's also the card counter. Card counter is looking cool. Oh, okay. I know. Who's another one? Oscar Isaac. Oh. Yeah. See, that's it. That's all you need. <laughs> 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 celebrity crush. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, do you Jesse, what's, you, what's your nostalgia? My nostalgia is I used to watch the old True Grit like a lot uh, growing up. It was one of it was like a John Wayne classic for me. Like, I think I really connected with it, kind of like what Liz was saying. It was like a, a fish out of water story. And it was a little kid. And since I was a little kid, I really connected with that. There's a little kid in the Western who happens to be the main character. The only thing I didn't like about that particular original version was I thought the little kid was really annoying. She's just kind of bratty and just has to have her way for like almost no reason. She's like, she just comes across very unreasonable, um, Hmm. even if she's able to argue her way into things. And then... uh, I saw this one in 2010. I can't remember if I was even excited to see it. I remember looking up stuff about it at the time. As soon as I saw it, I basically loved it. I loved, I loved the the girl that's in it. Like she's just, she's so, she's such a good actress in this one. I, I was just so, gonna say, and she's very reasonable. She strikes me as like overly reasonable <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, which is you know very different from what you were just describing. I haven't seen the original. Yeah, yeah, she's she's, still, she's quite whiny in the original. Yeah, yeah, she still has the thing where she has to get her way in this one, but it comes up mm-hmm. comes across more as like a a legit character trait you would see in a person that you get to know rather than just like an annoying trope in a character. Yeah, so she's great, and then also I just I love how funny this movie is. I was laughing in the so theater funny. almost the entire time. I still laugh almost the whole way through now. Yeah, and, and I've watched this regularly ever since. This is like one of my favorite like action adventure movies and westerns, and and a movie uh, that I enjoy thinking about. Like I always love taking away things from movies and thinking about them for for days afterwards. And every time I've seen this movie, I can find something new to think about. But also, I just enjoyed the experience thoroughly. And when I first came out of the theater, I didn't think about anything. I just loved what everything that I saw. Because I think the movie really works on that level. So yeah, I love this movie. Nice. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's a good yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, it's a great time. I'm looking forward to one day maybe showing this to my kids. Which reminds me. No, Mike. No, I, I, I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. <laughs> <laughs> that is great such line. a good line. Oh my, I, that line has been stuck in my head for 11 years ever since I saw this movie. <laughs> That's great. But Mike, do you think you're ever going to show this movie to your kids? I do. I think I will. I've been thinking about like when though, like when would I show this to my kids in a certain way? I mean, I've got, you know, I've got two daughters and I love the idea of showing them this Western that's, you know, about this girl who, who goes and, and kind of like wrangles these men into, you know, doing the right thing, I guess. And, you know, she's a strong, independent person. And and I love that as sort of a character story for for them to have and to, like, relate to. But I have no idea when, like, at all. I I cannot figure out when 
to show this to them because in some ways, like some parts of this, I'm like, I would show this to them today. You know, like when she's, uh, when she's haggling mm-hmm. with the, uh, with the, uh, horse trader and oh, stuff like yeah. that. Like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But then there's like also stuff like people with knives doing horrible things. And that's, I don't know when, when that's going to be okay with them. I mean, I guess middle teenage years, maybe, but I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, well, I don't have kids and I don't entertain <laughs> hypotheticals. Well, you might. <laughs> you might. You know, I, it's really hard for me to answer that kind of question because I don't have kids. I tend to think that I probably wouldn't care if my kids like cuss and stuff yeah. because I, I just think that like cussing is just like meaningless to me, I guess. Where, so I, but just words? I don't know if I have kids, like I might all of a sudden be like, you can't say f- like never. It is really, I just have to say, it's really shocking coming out of a three-year-old. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I would like, imagine, I would imagine I would really turn, turn all the way around on that one and be like, <laughs> never. Yeah. So I, I was, I had an experience where I was like with a friend and she had a little kid and uh, we watched Hunt for the Wilder People, which I love. I love that movie. And I was like, and she was like, are there any scary parts in this movie? or any appropriate person. I was like, absolutely not. And (laughs) like, there's like this scene where this woman like kills a boar and it's like pretty aggressive. (laughs) The poor child was so scared. And I, yeah. So I just really hard for me to, to understand the perspective of little children because I'm not surrounded by them. But yeah, I think the one thing that would hold me back is like definitely the fingers getting cut off and like the, you know, stabbing, blood but i would set i would show it to them as soon as as soon as i could discern that they would be okay with that kind of stuff and you know maybe skip that scene if necessary but i think it's. you don't want to skip that scene though right like it's such a great scene yeah Yeah. uh it's a great family movie overall though like maybe once they're all like 13 and up that's yeah that's I'm going to pull that number out there. That's that's know, a good number. Say, I was yeah. I was thinking 12 or 13 for myself. Yeah. Like a, like a pretty hard go of it cuz I, I I just told you guys before the podcast but coming on here like I just showed my my 4-year-old the original Star Wars and mm-hmm. and she did very well with it. It's it's a pretty entertaining like wild ride of a movie and the, she was a little scared at parts but I I I'm of the opinion that it's okay for kids to be scared sometimes. Yeah. Like not traumatized but a little scared is is good and fun and it, it makes the movies an exciting time. And makes it not stale because I don't think that art should be stale, and I think that they can get a lot more out of it if it's if it's a little bit more thrilling than maybe yeah. they're used to. Yeah. And so this one being a little bit more violent, yeah, it is. But uh, also with the Western setting, like growing up, this kind of stuff we would just see this stuff all the time because I don't want to say like, oh, life was so much rougher out there, but like we, we killed animals all the time. Like seeing blood was not shocking in any way. And I know it's going to be different for my my daughter. She's not there, but I I, I don't want to coddle her too much. I, I'm not I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that you're coddling yours. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. just saying that that for myself, yeah, I'm going to say twelve thirteen, and I think that we're going to have a really good time, and I think she's going to love Maddie and really really embrace it. What I think would yeah. probably really resonate with kids is like the experience of children often is that they are just not taken seriously by adults, and like Maddie does encounter that, but like she just like doesn't give a crap, and she. <laughs> you know, you, in the end, you do need to take her seriously. Like mm-hmm. you have no other choice. Like that scene with Tom Chaney, where he's like telling her to cock the gun. And then she just like shoots him. She's just like, he's like, what? <laughs> I did not think you would shoot me. Yeah, I, I did not think you would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do love her. Yeah. I love that character. And 
I think I also want to show this to my kids because, you know, I connected with the little kid character growing up. So I want to give that to them. But I, I think I'm going to show the original to them way younger. In fact, I turned it on the other night just to, just to try it out with them. And then there was immediately like a scene of three people hanging. Which yes. I, oh, the hanging. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty intense. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it happens in the old one and you don't. I guess you actually do see it the whole way, but they're like flailing and struggling the whole time. And this one, it comes across as like far more brutal, like folks, they're dead. Oh yeah. And then the dead body too, the corpse rotting corpse hanging from the tree that they cut down. That's really scary to me as a kid. I do not know this man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of like really intense scenes, even like in this movie, the gunshots are very like violent sounding. Like, it'll be a totally silent scene, and then it, like, reverberates through the house. There's something about those sorts of gunshots as opposed to, like, you know, old westerns was like, pow, pow, you know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, does, it doesn't sound fun. These yeah. gunshots sound scary. Like, they're going to kill you. And I both appreciate that because that's what guns are. They do that. They sound like that, and they will kill you. But I'm not sure if I want a really young person to watch it so i because of all the violent stuff and because of like the intensity of it all i'll probably wait till they're like i don't know 14 15 cool we're all all in a a matter of years there the formative years though yeah we all have like really young ones and we always talk about like we always choose like specific teenage days (laughs) or years but like it really we're gonna be way off and i know that (laughs) yeah but it's not a hypothetical. We don't entertain those. <laughs> it's hard and fast until we get there, and then we reserve the right to change our minds. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. That's, what it, that's what it means to be a parent. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what you said resonated with me, Jesse. That's definitely kind of how I feel like my kids are. Like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of this movie that I'd love to show them very soon but then you know you've got the scary guns and the real death and the fingers getting chopped off and and that's that makes it a little bit harder and i don't know maybe you can skip it and show it to them but maybe maybe the old one is is worth uh worth revisiting with them skip Eh. skip the skip the hanging maybe yeah i don't know what do you think the old the old one's much more like like a real kid along for the ride kind of oh, thing. Okay. And it's like, she doesn't kill Chaney in the end. John Wayne does, which is like a really big moment in this movie. And it feels like very impactful and awesome. And then in, in the old one, he rides up, Tom Chaney's standing over the snake pit. He shoots Tom Chaney. Tom Chaney falls in the snake pit. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, this is all this way? Shoot, after she shoots him twice. Like she has yes. shot him twice in the old movie and he doesn't die. It's like, what is, come on. What are bullets <laughs> doing in this movie? <laughs> Only when they're shot by John Wayne are they dead. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what happens in the book. I'd be curious to know. Oh yeah, if that was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you've read the book, let us know. None of us have. Yeah. Yeah. I looked up some differences, and apparently, this movie is more is more closer to the book in that regard. And Maddie does okay. kill him. Oh, okay, good. That's cool. Oh, interesting. Still, have, let I us know. I have some thoughts about the that scene. Ooh, ooh, okay. Little tiny well, of the everlasting. Okay. You could talk about okay. your your favorite scene right now if you wanted to. I don't know if uh, if your favorite scene happens to be the death scene. Uh, no, I mean I, it's hard for me to settle. I do like that scene. I just I just like all the zingers. There's so many good <laughs> zingers in this movie, and I especially like them when they're delivered by Maddie. 
I like I like all of her her powerful scenes where people are underestimating her, like the one I was just talking about with Tom Chaney, uh, as well as her bartering with that guy at, where she like sells the the ponies and then she buys one of them back for less than she sold it for. And just like, um, Wait and, a minute, are we oh, trading again? <laughs> yeah, he's just so scared. He's like, no. And that uh, that little kid who's like, oh no, I'm not going to mention you. He doesn't want me to say your name, name again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I like the oh when she when she insults Labeef the first time she meets him when he's like I wasn't sure whether to steal a kiss but now I have a mind half a mind to give you ten lickings or whatever mm-hmm. she's like one would be as just as unpleasant as the other um, I just yeah I just love it because like everyone everyone's just like treating her like a little girl and she's just like you know I can hold my own and I I just love that yeah. Yeah, she she does she does own them all to the point where they're just so pissed at her that like the only thing Labeef can do is just haul her off her horse and hit her because yeah, there's exactly. nothing else he can do. He's like, he's he's like you're pissing me off so say. much. Yeah, he has nothing to say to her. Yeah, and, and te- that's yeah, that's why I think I haven't seen the 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 first one, but like, she, I just think Haley Steinfeld Steinfeld does just such a great job, and yeah, it's hard to do a a young girl character who is as mouthy as she is and still be likable mm-hmm. and i think she just hits out of the park yeah because usually like given if she wasn't so confident right yeah if she didn't deliver these lines with such confidence and instead uh sounded snide yeah. or something you'd be like well this is just like a bratty kid like, yeah i don't like this person i don't want to be around them and i'm on the side of rooster and the beef mm-hmm. but because she says everything with with the true force mm-hmm. you're you're totally be like behind her like when yeah. she says that uh, when she tries to conclude the trading right and she stands up she's like well you'll be hearing from my my lawyer jane noble daggett he will serve you with a writ of reprobate mm-hmm. the guy goes a what she goes a, a writ of reprobate <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's oh, great but you're, you're on her side for that yeah oh yeah because it's true she's she also kind of points out like do you do you really want to go to law with this you're against uh, a widow and her <laughs> children it's just like, he's like uh uh, <laughs> I, I will I will hand over the money when I have in my hand something absolving me from the beginning of creation until this present date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, she is that great. Is so good. Uh, how about you, Vito? What's what are your favorite scenes? I'm cheating a little bit, and I'm doing two, but I'm doing two because I think it's the framing device of the movie, so I think it counts. Okay. Because Roger Deakins came up with the framing device of the slow dissolve in on Maddie's father dead on the ground. And then Tom Chaney riding off as we have, you know, the opening proverb, the wicked flee when none pursueth. And the opening monologue from 40 year old Maddie, people do not give it credence that a young girl could leave home and go off in the wintertime to avenge her father's blood. But it did happen. That's so cool because it's the first two sentences of the movie. You're seeing uh, an open saloon, the snow coming down, the beautiful golden light and this dead body. And then we hear those two sentences and you're like, oh, okay, I'm in, like, I got it. And then as her monologue continues going, it's even more and more convincing to the point at the end, like when Papa tried to intervene, Cheney shot him, Cheney fled. He could have walked his horse for not a soul in that town could be bothered to give chase. Mm. No doubt Cheney fancied himself scot-free, but he was wrong. You must pay for everything in this world one way and another. There is nothing free except the grace of God. And it's, it's like, it's such a dynamite way to open up anything (laughs) because you know, everything now, you know, the whole beginning. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. And what's funny is that the old one, you don't have this. You see the scene where you actually see a pretty long prologue of 
them like her with her dad and her dad with the family and then she's giving him advice on business and then he goes to town with cheney and cheney gets drunk and cheney shoots him and cheney runs and it's like 10 minutes right jesse yeah it lasts for a while and in this one does away with all of it and then when you first see maddie the movie's already going like you've skipped almost the first act mm-hmm. it's it's brilliant but the, that framing device of the the beautiful gold colors it comes back after she's been snake bit tom cheney's dead the ned pepper gang is killed off and now Rooster is rushing to get her to a doctor somewhere. And she runs the horse out and he, he runs it until it dies. He has to shoot it in the head and then he picks her up and he carries her. And that and it's so gorgeous the way how dark the sky is. Uh, it, it's like a dream. And it, it's and what Roger Deacon said is that he wanted it to be like a, like a storybook. And so when he, they finally show up at the at trading post and it, it's echoed again, like the, the golden light spilling out into the darkness and the, and the snow. It, it was chilling to me. I'm just chilling. The the imagery felt like a children's book. Yeah, like something that I've read to my kids. It was beautiful. Yeah, like the whole the whole way that they're riding and just like the silence and sort of the peace of the framing of the scenes, but then the action that's going on and then moving to like as he's carrying her, running, and you're looking up, like it's her image of him against the stars. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know. It was it was wild. And then when they finally get there, yeah. It's it's that that's it, cool to hear that it's the three images right is that that amazing sunset and then you see the the rider crossing right yeah. exactly the middle of the frame and then it cuts to that them as like a cutout in the dark so you can't see the stars through their shadow and she's having the hallucination that it's Cheney getting away oh it's everything about it is is I've never seen anything I've never seen that kind of thing before I, I don't think I still have yeah my favorite scene for sure cool that's really beautifully shot. I do love both of those. Both of those scenes are amazing. How about you, Mike? So I'm going to go the opposite direction. My favorite scene in the movie is like kind of right in the middle. There's a a fun little interchange. We get a a little sense of what it would be like living in the old West in these very uh, isolated places where we learn about a guy named the original greaser Bob (laughs) from someone (laughs) whose name. I don't know if he has a name. Uh, in in this movie, I'll, I'll keep looking. Um, the dentist, the yeah. dentist, the dentist <laughs> named Crentist. It, it's just it's, it's just amazing. So so Maddie and and Rooster Cogburn are riding riding out in in Indian territory, and they come across a dead body hanging from a tree. And but the whole time that they're riding, Rooster is just telling these really graphic and like adult stories about his life, <laughs> and he's just kind of like mumbling them. Yeah. In, like you can't really hear what he's saying. Yeah. And at this point, my wife and I were like, we need to turn on the subtitles. <laughs> and then it gets even more difficult to understand what he's saying. <laughs> I give three dollars for a pickled buffalo tongue right now. It's so much fun. like they just let Jeff Bridges uh, uh, just talk. And that was a lot of that was unscripted. I, I mean, I I don't know. Like as Bear Man. Bear, bear man. man. So so they cut down this guy who's hanging from the tree because Rooster Cobburn says, well. I might know him. Yeah. Um, so they cut him down. Maddie climbs up the tree, cuts him down, and a Native American comes along and picks up the body because it might be worth something and kind of <laughs> talks with Rooster for a little bit and then rides off. And I guess he makes a deal with Rooster that if he meets someone <laughs> riding along behind them, he'll shoot his gun in the air, which we hear later on as Rooster and Maddie continue riding. Snow starts falling a little more and a little more. And we, we find out that all this happens. So 
Maddie says, so what do we do? Rooster says, it's Labeef. We'll wait. <laughs> and they wait, and they wait. And it gets more and more snowy. And finally, someone comes along. And you're like, ah, oh, Labeef, this is going to be great. They're going to be able to make fun of him. <laughs> and who shows up? But Bear Man. I'm going as this guy for Halloween. <laughs> that's, that's a good <laughs> costume. <laughs> and Bear Man is riding along, and he has the same dead body on the back of his horse <laughs> that the Native American had on the back of his horse, the one that was cut down from way up high in the tree. And they just have a great interchange. It's fantastic. You find out he's a dentist. He uh, dabbles in medicine. Uh, he really hopes that one of them needs some help. <laughs> Are any of you seeking medical <laughs> He has already taken the teeth out of the dead man's body and offers to trade the body to them. And uh, Rooster says, no, thank you. Is there anywhere that um, that we can stay for the night? And the bear man says, you might want to head over to the original Greaser Bobs. Uh, the original Greaser Bobs. <laughs> Very important that it's the original, not, not the, the other one. Greaser Bob, which is so... I don't understand that because it's like, it makes you think of like chain restaurants yeah. now. Yeah. Like, what is, I, this is the old so, Wild West. So I do, I did watch the original and they don't bring up the original Greaser Bob, but instead they bring up Mexican Bob. Yes. And they, <laughs> they explicitly say he's the second one. And then, and then Maddie's like, oh, there was another? And there, John Wayne's like, yeah, there was another. He doesn't hold the candle to the original. <laughs> that's amazing. That's really funny. I didn't know that. So that's why it was very, Close the loop. very emphasized. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see. So I know the, uh, the Coen brothers inserted this scene. This wasn't part of the book. This wasn't part of the old movie. They made up the scene for this movie. So I, it seems to me that like they're paying homage to the old one. Absolutely. That's cool. Oh, yeah. I love that. Well, and it causes the first like crisis of the film, mm -hmm. which is them going to the original Greaser Bobs. But it's so much fun because it gives you that sense of like both the isolation and the unexpected encounters of the Old West. Yeah, yeah. sort of things that you feel playing like Red Dead Redemption Two. Oh, for sure. You know? The best like, part of that oh, game is yeah. when like someone like rides past you and they're like only in their underwear. And you're like, wait, <laughs> what? What's up with that guy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Been riding around here for hours and I haven't seen anybody. I just love how he says too, if you ride the river. <laughs> like, I don't understand his intonation. Like, why does he say the things he's saying in, in the way, I, like the first time I watched it, I did not have the subtitles on and I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. He just kept saying Greaser Bob. And I was like, what, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> And I love how when Rooster first asks, like, is there anywhere for shelter? He says, well, I have my bear coat. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he pauses, like, like this somehow uh, helps them? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. He's been living with himself for so long that he seems to be going a little bit crazy. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm surprised that he's not talking to his horse a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He probably does. Right. We well, should have introduced him then. <laughs> Part of me really would not want that guy as a doctor at all but at the same time i kind of would he wouldn't you know? be shocked by anything going on with you yeah you could go to him with anything and he'd be like oh yes yeah. <laughs> drink this yeah and i'd be like okay Here's a i'm finally throwing up why is this it helps <laughs> <laughs> Expectant. Expectant. 
Original Greaser Bob, that's my favorite. I think it's hilarious. It gives us that sense of the Old West. It's very funny and also causes the rest of the movie to occur as it does. It brings them together with Chaney. It works perfectly. I love it. Jesse, do you have a single favorite scene? Is there one where you're like, this is the one that I just love the most or or what? To be honest, I have so many favorite scenes. Every scene in this movie is basically my favorite scene. <laughs> I, I genuinely love this movie from beginning to end. I don't think there's a boring scene in here that I don't like. But there are actually two that have always struck me. The One is the courtroom scene. It's like Rooster Cogburn's introduction. He's already been introduced a little bit in the outhouse scene when Maddie Ross goes through <laughs> in the outhouse, which is a fantastic opening for that character. Well, there is no fuck no on my business. <laughs> the hell with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, then it's like quiet. And it's something that I, I, I say sometimes. I've said it in restaurants before when people knock. I just say, Jake's is occupied. <laughs> Will be for some time. <laughs> so no, no one wants to use that bathroom. Then. <laughs> no one's I also like how Maddie is like, well, I asked for you at like such and such, and they referred me here. <laughs> it's like an office. <laughs> Women aren't allowed in the saloon. He's <laughs> like so mad about it. Oh, uh, that was, oh uh, yeah, that is a great intro. But then you see him being like questioned by the defense attorney. And they're like, he's just sitting around telling his story the whole time. And it's, it's funny because the defense attorney is like, just making stuff up for him and he like just repeats it <laughs> um but then most particularly he's like cross-examined by actor joe stevens mm. i've never seen this guy in anything else i've just he's seen got a him fantastic in face his his face is fantastic his mustache is so great the way he oh, it's like so contorts good. it mr cockburn yeah. and then it's like <laughs> you know his mustache is already like moved how many men time. have you shot <laughs> shot or uh killed Kill just so we can have a manageable figure. <laughs> and then he says, that was, like, 12 that was, that was the trailer yeah. line. I remember that. That was the trailer line. Like, it opened, and then that was just that voice in the it, over black it was like, Mr. Cogburn, how many men have you shot? And it, it was, it just made for a really good trailer. I, I think about that line a lot. That's a really good, that's a really good oh, scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And then the defense attorney, he's able to like corner him, right? Like, he, you really realize at the end of that scene that he is the one that like just, shot a man behind the back while yeah. he was tending his fire. And you have no doubts about that. And that's particularly striking considering the original where it's like the same dialogue almost. It's like 90% there. But yeah. the takeaway at the end of the scene is far different. You're like, oh, John Wayne is basically in the right. It's the law that seems to be getting in the way somehow. At least that that was my takeaway growing up. Um, yeah, you know, because because like he in in this one, right? He he stumbles over like how the man ended up in the fire, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the attorney's like really hitting him hard, like, so did you pick yeah. the body up, take him over, and fling his arm in the fire? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, "Well, the hogs must have moved him." And in the old one, he says, "The hogs moved him," like he just says it really clearly. And we're like, "Oh, okay, well, the hogs moved him." Yeah, <laughs> no, that's so stupid. Of course, the hogs did. Yeah. That's that's such a silly answer. And then he says yeah. it in this one as like, a, "Well, the, the hogs moved him." <laughs> I do not remember. <laughs> uh, and also he, yeah. he changes like when he first asked the number, he's like, oh, well, I'm not, I don't know, like maybe like 15 or something. And then the guy was like, well, I definitely have a real number 
in front of me and he's like 23 <laughs> he's like i'll beat you to the punch and he's like yeah he knows yeah it's it's pretty clear he's being pretty dishonest oh, but and, but we already know that about him before that scene though because when he's introduced maddie's asking i forget who she's asking someone like oh what are the guys around she's asking the sheriff yeah and uh and so he's like well there's there's this guy and like guy number one and he's pretty good he always gets his mark uh there's this this rooster guy like he's 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 pretty intense and like he kills everybody and then the third one is probably the best because he's extremely just and she's like let's not let's let's look at the rooster like i want to and yeah so we already kind of know that he's He's a little shady. Are you telling me there's a loose cannon for sale here, sir? <laughs> yeah, I hear yeah, there's yeah, a loose yeah, cannon for sale. For <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do love when he says the number, though, because at first he says 12 to 15. And mm-hmm. then he's, and then uh, the lawyer's like, I, I have the paper right here. And he's like, ah, uh, well, I guess with them two warden boys, it's 23. <laughs> it's like, he, he should have said 14 or 17 based off of what he just said, but like, no, he remembered. He was just like hiding it all. Yeah, it's a, it's I such can't... a funny line. <laughs> yeah. So I love the courtroom scene. I also love the Lucky Ned Pepper scene when like he has his foot on Maddie's face and he's just screaming down on Cogburn. Um, that's yeah. also really well done in the original one too. With that's Robert Duvall playing Lucky Ned Pepper then, and this guy has like basically the same intonation, but like the way it's shot is much more striking in my opinion. And he's got he's got yeah. the the like the really chapped lips, you know. Mm. And he he just looks really he looks kind of strung out, honestly. Like he really looks like he's been on the run. And Robert Duvall is handsome as all hell, uh, mm-hmm. so he just looks really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this Ned Pepper, like he truly looks like he's reaching the end of his luck, you know. And he feels really backed into this corner. Um, yeah. He's scared. And that line when he's like, "I need a good judge." Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you're realizing like he's he knows he's out of luck too. And mm-hmm. it's almost like he's like preparing to, to die, to go to the judge. It's kind of what I call that like strong him. words for a one-eyed fat man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man. I love, I could talk about so many other scenes, but uh, I think those are, those are the two I'm going to really shout out though. Beautiful. Um, cool. All right. So we've got a lot of questions about this movie. Vito, I believe you wanted to talk about the morality of this one. Yeah, well, because we, we mentioned in the Fargo that, well, I mentioned in the Fargo episode that I think that almost every Coen Brothers movie is, is a morality play at, at their heart. They're very concerned with stuff that is good, stuff that is evil. And they're also very, very concerned with death and mortality, as I mean, all great art is, but specifically very concerned with it. And I kind of wanted to ask, I, I think the morals here are, are pretty are pretty unshakable. And the good guys went out against the bad guys in the end. But I just kind of wanted to explore because there is there's the definite ending where Maddie gets saved and Rooster shoots the gun, right? But then there's the whole postscript sequence where things didn't really, like, I guess they worked out for Maddie, but it's hard to tell what works yeah. out means. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. she continued living her life. She never fooled around with getting married. So she's yeah. she's a spinster and her family is dead. Mm-hmm. And she goes to visit Rooster. And it turns out that she just missed Rooster's death. Mm-hmm. And she has his his body moved. It doesn't leave you feeling victorious. Yeah. I don't know if it leaves you feeling defeated, but it, it didn't make me feel like cheering. In fact, I, I, I openly cried this last time when I watched it, just watching her walk away from the graves across the, the prairie mm-hmm. as they play, you know, the... Leaning on the everlasting arms. Right. The beautiful yeah. Iris Dement version, too. Yeah. She's got such a striking voice. Yeah. 
So I, I kind of wanted to ask about that because the, the original is pretty, pretty cut and dried. You know, the good guy won. Mm -hmm. The bad guy died. And that's true here too, but it's different. And I, I kind of wanted to just ask, how, how do you guys think it's different? I don't actually have an answer. This is an, like an open question. I can't compare it to the other one because I haven't seen it. But one of the, what left a, a bad taste in my mouth, not about like, I'm not, you know, condemning the movie itself, but about the character Maddie, you know, she's, she's just like so uptight about justice and like everything needs to be even. And then you have this scene where this man saves her life. He goes to this great length and it's so intense. She's been on this long journey with him. And then she says, I tried giving him the last $50 I owed him and I could, I never got a response. And so that to me, I think what left that in particular left that feeling of dissatisfaction with the end. Again, not, not to the movie's detriment at all, but like there's something missing there. Like she's, she has a relationship with this guy and she owes him more than $50, but somehow she doesn't see that. And I think that's kind of uh, the old Maddie is just like her voice is very deadpan and matter of fact, as it was when she was a child too. But there's, a, there's almost like an added sadness in, in the grown mm -hmm. woman's voice. Especially when she says like, like old trail mates, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. she sounds younger for just like that, those two words, mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah, there's like there's almost like a lack of love in her character, and even when she hears that her father dies, or when she, when she goes to see his body, and there's the guy who's like, "If you want to cry, that would be all right." <laughs> would you and say like to like, kiss him? That would be all right. And and she goes, she goes, no, thank you. The spirit has flown. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah she keeps talking, but then she cries when she sees his gun. Right. That's the only time she cries. And yeah, I think that there's a as much as I love her character, there's also just something so sad that there's something missing there. I can't, I also can't say what it is, but she's not ever willing to go beyond what she, she owes people with like, according to the numbers and agreements that she owes people that she's not able to have real relationships. Maybe. Mm. I don't know if that's really answering the morality question, but I guess I'm trying to answer that. Your, your question of why does it feel so sad in the end? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you're blaming it all on, all on her because I always <laughs> I'm not trying to, but yeah. <laughs> well, like I I always I never even thought of her as like the person to blame there. I thought it was all like Rooster. Rooster oh. like got up before she was even well. And when she tried to wire him the money, mm -hmm. he refused to respond. He he's oh, I don't know. He he doesn't want another human relationship uh -huh. except to what's immediately around him. So he just like up and left and just figured he'd never see her again. So yeah, I always blame that more on more on him. I'm, maybe yeah. that's on her, but I always kind of actually. I just realized there's something from the script. Like sometimes I I like to read parts of the script online or whatever, and I download it. And part of the script that never made it into the movie, I don't think, was after she says at the very end uh, that she never got married because she didn't want to fool around with it. She said she was taking care of her mother for like the past twenty years. Mm. Oh really? So yeah, so she, she like she's running the entire household. Her mom is kind of stupid and is not with it mentally. So she's like around taking care of like the homestead. And like, how would she, I don't even know how she would like go out and like bond with Rooster and what that would mean to go above and beyond for him. Like what, what can you do for somebody after they've saved your life like that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I kind of wonder, just thinking about this again and, and not really think, I'm thinking about it more like in context with other Cohen work and the way that they end their movies, right? Like the ending of No Country. 
and the ending of a serious man or the ending like we talked about in the in the Fargo episode we talked about how sometimes they they end with a shrug and sometimes they end with something more and sometimes they end you know, very definitely and sometimes they end with a joke like the ending of Oh Brother Where Art Thou right mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone gets washed away in a big flood but this one the way ending like this I think it's just that that beautiful line and I wonder if, if maybe what they're just more talking about is just how, what life is like life just gets away from us or something time yeah. just gets away from us time, time just gets, gets away, away from, from us. us yeah and then she just starts walking away and i and i kind of yeah. wonder is it more than is it more than that i don't know like i'd say probably they're both to blame if blame is involved i don't know if blame should be involved in it but like her way of reaching out and saying thank you was doing everything within her power to like get the money back mm-hmm. and for him that's almost probably a little insulting yeah because what, what happened I to him yeah what she represented to him was was something very he calls different. her sister yeah and he, yeah sis well i, I love that i loved yeah. when he called her sis mm-hmm. and but then also just like the difficulty of trying to have any sort of relationship their lives are so different he l- seems to like his life as it is as a murderer oh, and, an old man in a rope bed behind a chinese restaurant <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah just time gets away from yeah, yeah. So it felt it felt kind of classic Cloney. It's yeah. it's not it's not an easy like it's almost this easy bundle, and then they just like, yeah, life sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting like addendum to the idea of of their movies as morality plays because they are, but they encounter them and they generally have like right and wrong and good and bad getting what they want, but good doesn't end up ever being as good like their their rewards aren't quite as good as you hope they're going to be and Mm -hmm. the bad isn't maybe quite as bad as you you hope it's going to be well the the bad the bad is actually always pure evil i mean like what happens to them though oh okay yeah yeah well here though there isn't really pure evil is there no no that's also why this this seems weird because this is this is the lightest like this and no, an O brother, right? Are the mm-hmm. lightest of the Coens. What about Burn After Reading? What is that? The most nihilist. Hail Caesar is pretty light. That's true. Yeah. It is. But Hail Caesar, right? Is is really is really complicated because he's like the the fun thing about that one is that he's a very faithful religious man having to work in a super fallen system and like hating the stuff that he does. Yeah. And not really being able to square that with himself. Yeah. And but this one is like you you have like the Texas Ranger right mm-hmm. who's very much about that credo the, like this line here the Texas Ranger presses on alone <laughs> and his final line in the movie ever stalwart <laughs> his bell has been so very wrong <laughs> oh man but I I just think that this one so I, I guess what I mean let me let me amend morality seems easiest in this film than it is in any of their other films because Oh Brother is easy to watch but it's also very confusing. Um, yeah, generally yeah. speaking, and Hail Caesar also seems like a like a tangled web. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, a lot of people apparently really hated that one because it's it is kind of all over the place. Yeah, we're. I'm not the biggest fan. I, I don't hate oh, yeah. it, but I don't. Yeah, I don't it. think it's as the, the, the yeah the story is is pretty disorienting, and I think it's kind of a series of great one liners and yeah. great scenes. And yeah, as a whole unit, That's it true. maybe falls short a bit, but yeah, um, with it a twer. Yeah, with a twer. So, but well, it, all right. Talking about the morality, though, like we had also talked about, Unforgiven, as 
right? Which is like the, the story of, of William Money, who is like, you know, Clint Eastwood coming back after all these years and committing murders and stuff like that. And then like showing the, the horror of the violence that he commits at the end of the film. And I, I saw True Grit doing something similar with the very end. It's like, not, not at all to the same extent, because the violence in this movie is still really fun. It's really fun to see Jeff Bridges ride out against four people all at once. Mm-hmm. You think oh, it's so going to be a dog fall rooster? <laughs> that is such a great... Ah, uh, I love it. Fill your hands, you son of a bitch. Ah. <laughs> he grabs the, the reins with his mouth, just like John Wayne, and just rides out, and it's, it's this epic scene. But then at the end, he's just like out riding with Cole Younger and Frank James, who were also part of uh, Captain Quantrill. They were go. part oh. of Captain Quantrill's crew. So yeah, he he just went and joined his old war buddies and uh, is, has been riding with them for years. He's never left his lifestyle, has kept that. It's like he has this, these moments of greatness, and it seems like at the end of the movie almost, he's been redeemed, and then he just goes right back to it. It's just like, it's got this sense of like this violence and these great acts that he's even capable of, like drive him to, to maybe to drink and to, to live this sort of this lifestyle that he's in. That's what I took from it anyway, which is both uh, something that I see in a lot of modern Westerns. And also, I, I guess what I love about this movie, as opposed to other ones, is that like, I love how the action here is genuinely epic and genuinely heroic. You know, it's, it's so much fun to see it. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like dreary, like unforgiven was, which is not to unforgiveness discredit. That's just the way it was. It felt yeah. sad. This yeah. does not feel sad. It feels triumphant. And, uh, and then it's like, the, it's like the closest the Coens will ever get to like making a blockbuster, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's the most straight up. And it felt like that was intentional. Like this is supposed to be a straight up action adventure, like blockbuster type thing. Oh, and then by the way, at the end, things aren't so great. You're like, going to walk out kind of going like, yeah. what? Kind of bummed. You're going to be kind of <laughs> bummed. Yeah. There's no happily ever after here. At the end of his life, he had to, it seems like he's still paying for everything that he's ever done. He wrote in Buffalo Bill's uh, show. Nothing was still mm-hmm. free for him. As, as Maddie says earlier. He's paying for it all. And and herself, too. She ends up, she gets her revenge, but loses her arm. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem, like, she's still very matter-of-fact about it. She's like, yeah. you know, it's done. And I think that happens in, you know, so many of the Greek tragedies where revenge is, you know, what they're seeking is, in the end, is still pretty unsatisfying. It costs you something. It costs you something. Yeah. And you're also just like, you always think going into it or the character seems to always think like this is they're so she's so motivated. And then in the end, it's just like, it's gone now. What, what, what's next? And apparently nothing for Maddie (laughs) is next. Yeah. She never goes on an adventure like that in her life again. Yeah. I, I keep circling around this thought in my head. I don't really know. I don't really know quite how to, what to do with it. But it seemed to me like very fairy tale y, like Maddie's sort of influence on um, both the beef and uh, and Rooster. Um, like you said, you know, she turns into like Rooster Cogburn's sister, daughter in some way. Mm-hmm. Like like when you see him running across the plains with her, that's like a father and a yeah. daughter. And 
like she's this moment in their lives that doesn't exist outside of it with her in it. Her life, like it's this moment of greatness for her that doesn't exist without them in it as well, mm-hmm. which I don't know. That's, that's a fascinating sort of idea or, or something like these people coming together on the trailhead to, uh, you know, achieve Western movie revenge, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is a fairy tale. It's the American fairy tale is the Western. <laughs> Absolutely. But then, you know, without one another together, they fall back into the the lives that they were living before. Labeef being probably a a dandy jerk. <laughs> a dandy. That's, that's such a great. Yeah, yeah he, he's a rodeo clown. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that on that same note. I love that scene where she kind of she looks at him kind of for the first time when she's like, "I misjudged you." Yeah. When he, oh, I forget exactly. I think is that uh, right when he shoots Ned Pepper. I, th- I think no, when he before. when he comes back for her. He, oh right. Yeah. Oh uh, right. Yeah, and then he and then uh, Rooster is like just like dead drunk, right? Yeah, he's then, super drunk. He's like, "I'm leaving." Oh yeah. I'm bow out. Yeah, I bow out. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so she kind of looks at him, and I, I, part of me thinks that maybe she's manipulating him, and she's like, "Well, he's my only shot." But I, I think it seems like a sincere scene. It seems, yeah. I felt sincere. It even felt a little like the closest she would get to like a girlish crush in that moment. Yeah. You know, because she does mention him later and she she does mention the possibility yeah. of her like calling him up and seeing what what he's like now, even though he's probably in his 70s or yeah. whatever, or yeah. near to yeah. near 80. Near she 80. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As if he was like, he's like almost 50 years old when they rode out together. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did want to kiss her. So he did. He did. <laughs> that was a little uncomfortable. It, it yeah. was a different time. Yep. Yeah. It was <laughs> still uncomfortable. Time. This yeah. is today. I it am uncomfortable a, with the fact the movie that that would have been okay. Time. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, he's well, it's almost a like a year old girl in bed. She's clearly sweating and has some fevers. Like, uh, I want to kiss her. <laughs> I think she's like super ugly, but and, like, yeah, I'll kiss her. And yeah, he, that's what he says. Is he's like, uh, even though you are, you know, sick, young, and sick, and ugly to boot. <laughs> well, this it's like it's weird too because she she is like she's a force of nature and she's a very strong person, but then she has these like. Interesting moments of childishness, almost. Okay. What yeah. the most notable for me is when they're sitting around the campfire and they're both telling their like nasty stories. And she's like, You guys want to hear the story of the midnight howler? Like, Someone's gotta be the howler. That's like the mo that's the moment, the one moment that I'm like, oh yeah, she's a kid. Yeah. 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 But it's great though, because it, it works and it like it totally d- diffuses the situation because they're about to get into it. They're about yeah. to kill each other. Yeah. And she diffuses the situation. There's a scene where she's like talking to her horse, talking to Blackie and just like naming her horse and like mm-hmm. doing all this, like seems almost childish when she's put next yeah. to a rooster and the beef who are very practical and pragmatic in their different ways. And she's like petting it like, oh, tomorrow we're going to go catch our man. We're going to shoot him. And Rooster Cogburn, he's a good, virtuous person. She doesn't quite say that, but that's the vibe that you're mm-hmm. getting. And then the next day, Rooster's drunk, just yeah. like wasted. Yeah. And just like, it, it seems very much about that conflict of ch- both like the childhood meeting adulthood and also the impact that a child can have on adults. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, yeah. as far as, as far as morality, the morality player, like the, the theme, maybe the theme of this, it, it seems like that's a big part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm trying to connect that to sort of the ideas of, um, 
of that ending that we have. I, I guess maybe that's what it is. I, I'm, I'm connecting it to like, we've got this frame of like kind of the sadness and realities of life where at the end she's old, she's a spinster, she doesn't have an arm, she seems very severe. Mm. Whereas like she's so full of life in the movie and what we expect here, she's so full of life, she brings these people up and then at the end, like none of them are in a place where you feel like satisfied. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was a very interesting, very interesting juxtaposition. And uh, I don't know. That's it. That's that's it. Keep your seat trash. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Just, just the, the look she gives him too. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I agree. I, I, also, I, I, agree I love that she said. I love historically that is Frank James. That is Jesse James's brother that she just said that to. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Keep your seat trash. Nice. Nice. It's <laughs> amazing. She just, yeah, she goes up to historical figures and just schools them. Uh, yeah. Still, she still has that sort of energy. No, I, I liked everything you said. I guess I just, I, I was looking for a question, but instead, I, I think you explained it really well, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think well, you did. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. You. I was trying to find the question, but I think that it was just. It was the, an answer. Yeah, it was the answer. You found an answer. Yeah, there we go. Good. We have been talking about the the ending a lot and, uh, and the theme. So I, I'm going to mash that into one question. What do you think about leaning on the everlasting arms, him being the theme of this movie? Cause literally it is interwoven to the musical score throughout the movie. I think that's very strange. Like why is this the song that is throughout the movie? Leaning uh, on the everlasting. <laughs> All right. You got to go higher, much, much higher. <laughs> Safe and secure. She's got such a... The way she says to yeah. alarm, it's alarm. It, it's really strange. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Like, it, it's just really unique. It's, yeah. And it almost, it does make you laugh sometimes. Yeah. She's got yep. a really, really distinctive voice. Yeah, I, I think this movie really, really resonated with me in a different way watching it this time because of that that question of you know this girl this girl is like going out and seeking like at one point she's talking to someone she's like well no one else is gonna do it my mom like she's like sick with grief and my kid brother he's just a baby and I like I'm I'm the one who takes care of the family and she's owning it she's doing a great job of it and she's so good at bartering she's schooling all these people but then the theme throughout is this like leaning on the everlasting arm what oh what joyfulness oh what you know yeah. and that's yeah a, that's so a it's weird just, thing it's yeah. super weird well and, and even when it does seem like like fate or god or, or whatever has brought in like labif kind of seems like the answer where she could lean on on sort of like circumstance yeah. be like hey here's a guy who's he, going to go kill this guy right i can step out exactly I can b- bow out like yeah, and she chooses to go along with the guy she hired too. Like she could even just yeah. leave the two guys to go and yeah. be like, "All right, cool." Uh, but they were more still... than comfortable with that. Yeah, <laughs> they um, might have preferred. But it. <laughs> you know, with what you just said, Mike, too, they obviously I, the, both times that they both decided to turn back, they get into an argument. And I actually I watched it last night, and I went back because I was like, "Well, why? Why are they turning back?" And I like had to rewatch those scenes and it's like no real reason. They're just like dudes fighting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it's good that she's there too. Like she, she is a really important figure in the movie. So like, why the heck is this the theme? Uh, I, I think 
I think number one, as, as we were talking about before the pod, it's it's a very obvious and really funny joke mm-hmm. um, because of the one armedness of later Maddie, yeah. and that seems like a like a I can almost hear the dry chuckle of the Coens. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> why do you think it is? <laughs> yeah, and then I think I think there's also something to be said too about she has to lean on on Rooster and his arms mm-hmm. to carry her, and if she hadn't done that, because I think there's there's a very clear visual tie-in between between rooster carrying her across the seemingly endless plains and then her walking out across the same plains, right? Remembering rooster saying goodbye. And so I think that's there. So I think it's two. And then the third one is that there are a couple of very insanely lucky things that happen in this movie, right? The first one I'm thinking of is when Labeef nails Ned Pepper from so far away. You know, what a bully shot. Yeah. Um, and he does not think he can do it. Yeah, but he, he he gets him, and there's a couple moments of of surprise and and almost like coincidence that make it so the movie continues on, like Labeef turning back. Right, that's it's weird because he's very clearly like says goodbye to Maddie, and she's begging him to stay, and he says no, I'm leaving, mm-hmm. and he goes. Like that seems pretty final, but he comes back, mm-hmm. and I don't know. There's there's moments where it does feel like. As, as with some other Cohen movies, where coincidence starts to feel more like the hand of God, yeah. almost. Okay. My, yeah. the, most, the most stark example of this, I think, is when she falls into a pit and she's caught by the branch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, that's the everlasting mm. arm. The branch mm. that's, like, holding Ooh. her from her death. Oh, yeah. like, it's literally a hand that grabs her. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And uh, also, Vito, I know, like, you're, you're pointing it out as kind of a joke that it's making fun of you know, her not having an arm anymore. But yeah. also, like, she is, like, a self-made woman, right? She is yeah. somebody who's done something for herself, like, the whole way through. And when she got her hand bit, she could do nothing for herself. She could not rely mm-hmm. on her own arms. The the arms that just shot Cheney, like, almost got her killed. Mm-hmm. And she has to, she has to uh, lean on somebody else's. She is literally leaning on, yeah, um, mm-hmm. Rooster Cogburn's arms. Right, he's carrying her. Yeah, I think there's there's more in the arm too, because like going back to the that last, you know, he saves her life. Then she's like, "Well, I tried sending him his fifty dollars. I still owed him, and you know, he wouldn't accept it." Um, and I think that the her missing arm is also like a sign of her unevenness. Or oh yeah, the, there's there's still there's she still owes. Yeah, and that's like she owes to God, I guess, like the everlasting arm. Oh, that's, what she owes. that's good. Um, oh, Ooh. that's that's some Flannery O'Connor shit. Yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, the the Coen Brothers sometimes like really just. I would love if they did. Actually, I don't know if you guys saw the um, what was it the uh, the series of Western shorts that they. Did. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Buster yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that was very Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, a hundred percent. Oh yeah, she may as well have written it. Yeah, yeah that was a lot of fun. <laughs> But then they write lines like for Emmett Quincy here to Maddie, who worked you over with the ugly stick? (laughs) (laughs) I just love me an ugly female lead. (laughs) It's like crazy to say about Haley Steinfeld too. Because you're like, like, no, you're objectively a a beautiful girl. And everyone's like, wow, who dragged this turd in here? (laughs) (laughs) She's really cute. Yeah, and any more thoughts about the everlasting arms? That that was a surprisingly yeah, deep good. question. Yeah, I mean, I I think I have more, but I guess the question of justice, I think, is just such a big question, and 
you know, whenever you go out, it's, it really reminded me actually of the Merchant of Venice because she's looking for this. She's like, she wants her pound of oh, yeah. flesh. And, uh, and then when you hold her up too, though, like even in her negotiations with, uh, you know, what's his name? The guy with the horses. Um, she, oh, I she's the unjust horse in those dealings. Actually, yeah. <laughs> She goes back, she buys the horse for less than she, she sold it to him for. And she also like when she, uh, the, the scene I mentioned earlier, when or the sheriff lists the three men who could go after Tom Chaney for her, she doesn't choose the just one. She chooses the meanest, the meanest. Of yeah. Them. yeah. Um, and maybe it's because she perceives that as what Tom Chaney deserves, but still it's, there is a lack of justice in her character. And I think the, one of the reasons that this song is the theme is, is that she, she's still given mercy. Like she still is dealt with mercifully in, in the end. Mm. Her life is saved by this man who wasn't contracted to save her life. That mm. wasn't part of their agreement. Right. Yeah. Janie's um, dead. They should be done. Yeah. He could have walked away and she still would have owed him that 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's still she's she's given a lot of mercy in the end, even though even if she doesn't see it. So I think that's why that's the theme. That's nice. a good point. I, I like. Um, well, it's interesting because she's. I feel like she would say she was a very just person. Oh, yeah, of course. exactly. She lived yeah. Oh, yeah. According to the law, but mm-hmm. I think the reality is that it's about her justice, her version of it. Even yeah. even that hilarious scene where she says, "You know, like screw you, trash, or whatever it is." Yeah feels good when you hear it but it's also like why like why are you the one who says that this guy's trash you're the arbiter you're the she's the arbiter of justice she's the definer and the enforcer of it Mm -hmm. yeah even even in seeking out tom cheney right like yeah is that yeah she's an eye for an eye kind of girl Mm -hmm. she's the one's gonna take the eye yeah and then remember when she gets really upset at the store when they find her father's gold piece and then she's like, oh, so she came, so he came this way. She's like happy about it at first. And then Rooster is just like, or somebody killed him and just took it off his body and bought something with it. And she's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? That'd be terrible. <laughs> it's like, but that's what you're going for. But no, it's really just that she wants to kill him. It's I not have that, to kill Tom Chaney. <laughs> yeah, I have to kill Tom Chaney. He can't go to Texas. He can't just be like hit on the road by some random strangers. It has to be me. She needs a certainty that he's dead, which is a certainty that even even after she's the one that shoots him, she doesn't have. Right. Like that also makes kind of makes it feel unfulfilled, too, because the last thing that she sees is Tom Chaney riding away. You know what? Oh, yeah. like like in her hallucination. Yeah, like like her fixation oh, okay. is so deep that even after she <laughs> murdered him, she still thinks he's getting right, away. For a second there, I was like. Survive. There was an after credit scene. <laughs> well, you know, we don't see the dead body of her. That's true. Like, yeah, we like see him get shot in the cliff. chest yep. and he falls off the cliff. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's dead. I'm pretty yeah. sure he's dead. <laughs> yeah. But... True grit, too. <laughs> the rise of Tom Shaney. I.e. Thanos. Yeah. She had like a mechanical arm, like a gun. <laughs> Tom Shaney, you son of a bitch. I call this the everlasting arm. <laughs> 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 yes, please. <laughs> you ever ending on more like it? Yeah. <laughs> give it, give it to me, give it to me. I want that. Now um, fill your hands, you sons of bitches. Oh yeah, yeah you got to yeah. change it. You got to change yeah. it. Yeah, it would have to be like it had to be like RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about masculinity and norm? Is this is this interesting to anyone? 
Yeah. I just put it up there because we mentioned is, it in the other episode. Is there a Norm? Do you like, remember Norm from Fargo? Is he the husband? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, yeah. Normal Norm. Normal norm. Um, I guess I would need to know a little bit more about what you mean about that archetype before. Because we said that he's the only normal person in Fargo. He's just like a basic good. Mm. He just helps his wife. He paints his ducks. He makes her breakfast. Exactly. Yeah. Supports her. Yeah. So, oh, so I guess emotional. that's an interesting. Yeah. That goes along with the morality play question. Yeah. I like that. Okay. I mean, yeah. the, like, so then the depiction of masculinity here, what, what is that? And how does it sort of connect with Fargo and then the character of Norm as we talked about, or just from your knowledge of Fargo and Norm? Is that a good way to ask that? Yeah. 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 I feel like we've probably been circling a little bit. Is there a Norm in here? Like, is there, is it the shopkeeper? It's quite a colorful cast. The Norm is Bear Man. Bear Man. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. <most> guy. <laughs> yeah. He's just a normal guy. I'll have a he's just, yeah. he's just a normal dentist. I was kind of thinking it was either him or well, I guess Yarnell is not much of a character. He's not around very much. And Who then we have Yarnell? the bandits, her helper. When she comes into town and he has oh, to take the right. body back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, normal he, seems, he seems, no, fine. he doesn't seem normal. Like everybody, every, even the minor characters seem to have, uh, I don't know. I think. There's probably something a little bit wrong with them. Maybe except for the the defense attorney. He seems to be doing his job really well. And frankly, yeah. I think he's right. He's like, he's like this is a dirty cop <laughs> yeah. right here, everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Stop yeah. laughing. This yeah. guy's bad. Yeah. And he does bad it successfully. Dude. And he does it with, with the passion that is deserved. But, like, you don't really see him throughout the movie. So, like, I, I don't think there's a simply good person like norm from fargo in here because everybody yeah. else seems to have some crazy flaws either you're stupid like la or you're like a drunk like uh like rooster cogburn and just need to have everything your way or like like we were saying with maddie like she's got some she's got some deep problems there um <laughs> some, some it seems like like deep philosophical problems about justice and what that means and she has these glaring character oversights in herself so I don't think there's anybody like simply, simply good like Norm. But given, given that, yeah. then the way that, that men are depicted is, is interesting here as well. Right. Cause we have, there's a lot of men cause it's a Western. Right. right. But we got, we got lucky Ned who seems like a pretty bad dude. He seems fair, but pretty bad. Yeah. In a certain way, he's like the only one that you like at that point. Yeah. It's weird. You're like, Oh, this is kind of a, a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Nice to get like a big important character, but at the, the same the time, movie. he just stepped on a child's face. But treats her nicely yeah. otherwise. Yeah, you know? he's just yeah. using her as a gambling. Like, yeah, piece. He has some coffee. He actually speaks to her as an equal too. Yeah, like he's like one of the first grown men who speaks to her as an equal right from the start. Yeah, which is something. Yeah, it is. Even even that act of like as uncomfortable as it is of like like putting her under under his boot and being like, I'm gonna have to shoot you if. Like, I don't have any qualms in doing this. It's like, in a certain way, that's treating her like an equal. Yeah, yeah, it's a exactly, really, like, yeah. backwards way of doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he just shot Maybe one of his men, right? Yeah. He's the norm. Uh, I don't think there, yeah, I, I don't think there is one. Yeah. yeah. But, okay, yeah. Well, but what about, like, our two main men? Like, we've got Labeef and we've got Rooster Cogborn. And they seem like they're <sighs> both almost, like, archetypal figures. Like, with Labeef, he's... Like he's the knight in shining armor archetype, right? Like he's 
he's always doing the right thing. He's the Texas Ranger. Yeah, and more, more importantly, he thinks that of himself. Well, well, I'd say that that's how this is being a little like, like making a statement or something about that archetype. Like, yes. Yeah. He is thinking about, about him at, like he, he's thinking about that about himself. He's like, I am the good guy. Uh -huh. And and that's funny. That's something we're laughing at the whole movie yeah. because it's like, you're just an idiot. <laughs> like you're way, like you're, you're overly sincere. Like you're not catching this stupid person. Yeah. Also, um, can I just say when he like rides up to the cabin and he just like yeah. waltzes in, like without yeah. a second and like, thought, uh, and then he comes out and confronts like seven people on horses. It's like, what are you thinking, dude? Like, and he just freaking just... draws too. He's just like, <laughs> yeah. all right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, just go to the house, take cover, something. <laughs> and he gets mad at Rooster for like accidentally shooting him from yeah. like a thousand miles away. Yeah, he's I like, was like, like, while he's, while he's yeah. like being dragged around too. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I love he's the line where he's like, I, I once lapped water from a hoof print and I was glad to have it. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to meet another one of you Texas Rangers talks about, oh, go ahead, Dixie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, Do he's it. like the ultimate mansplainer. <laughs> yes! Okay. okay, sorry. And again, going back to like whenever they want to turn back, it's because these two dudes are getting into dumb fights and like they're all, yeah, he's a big mansplainer and but I also found it funny that, um, Rooster had all these one-liners about how he, he just keeps talking, but Rooster talks way more constantly. <laughs> just like, I I just think the way that they 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 talk and they fight over dumb things and they've just they both got just so much pride is is like you know to to use the overused term the toxic ma masculinity mm -hmm. of ages, you know, Agreed. of of yeah, yeah. of time, you know, ever present. It, but it, it astonishes me that Mr. Labeef has been shot, trampled, and nearly bitten his tongue off. And yet, yet, not only does he continue to talk, but he spills the banks of English. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good. Also, one of my favorite moments this time around is like right after he pulls off the amazing shot against Ned Pepper, and then <laughs> Maddie's like, "Holy <laughs> shot!" And he turns around and he's about to start explaining something else to her, <laughs> and then he gets hit in the I head. I never noticed that. I think he started to say, the sharp's carbine. <laughs> but then immediately, just like, he's knocked out. It's so funny. because That's really uh, funny. Man, that's so I great. That. I mean, he, he does think he's the knight in shining armor and he's a little stupid. But, like, he actually does pull off some, some cool things. Like, he is a Texas Ranger. He has gone all the way from Texas to, uh, I guess, they're in Arkansas, right? Yeah. So he's been, like non-stop tracking somebody for months and that mm -hmm. takes like a certain amount of determination a certain amount of yeah. grit yeah. dare i say um, <laughs> to pull off Ooh. and he has and he has that and i think that's like a, a genuinely like a really cool thing but it's just it's just not perfect and that's the thing about our heroes in this movie our heroes yeah. do heroic things and they're not they're not perfect for it but they're genuinely good things yeah yeah. 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 And he's like generally a good guy too. Like he's he's like that's what she says. She's like, I misjudged you. And and at he the says end, the you're same like, too. Yeah. 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 Which is cool. And which is cool. And Rooster, for as bad as he is, dude, he carries a girl mm -hmm. like who knows how long. And he's an old fat guy and he clearly never runs. And he's been like running for yeah. like what seems like miles. 
Like, I complain about I, carrying my four-year-old daughter up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like the amount of like strength and determination and like will and character. That's that's really that's genuinely heroic. He's a hero. Um, and I maybe that moment. He's got and I think he tr- he treats Maddie with with profound respect. Like he calls the the way he calls her sis. Um, he stops the the licking like the you know when the Labeef has the switch and that, you know, we talk about like, it was a different time and it, and it was, and like for him, his character to be able to be like, no, this needs to stop. He uh, thinks about it. Right. Cause he's like, yeah, he's watching yeah. it. And she's like, rooster, are you gonna let this go on? He goes, mm, no, don't think it will. And he even is <laughs> yeah. like, you're going to die if you keep going. Yep. Like yeah. it's, yeah. it's not, I mean, I guess he does kill people pretty, pretty, easily. pretty quickly, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he he uh, he's he's willing to stick his neck out to defend her over and over again. And again, it's not part of the deal. Yeah, to to suffer this young girl to be accompanying him too, which he does kind of put up a fight about at the beginning. But he and then he talks to her as an as an equal, I guess, sharing kind of smutty stories with her. But <laughs> um, yeah, I just I really love that that relationship that they have. Yeah. And that speaks a lot to his masculinity, I would say. Yeah. I, I think the reason why he pauses too from pulling out his gun is because he realizes if he does, then she's gonna come with them. And he really <laughs> I, I think he really doesn't oh, yeah. want that to happen. So he's oh, just like point. looking and it's like, oh no, he's enjoying this and like I I can't I can't let this keep going. And and also I think they had a real he had a real bonding moment with her when she crosses the river and Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the old true grit, he says, uh, there's a lot of myself in her. Right. And Mm -hmm. you you can kind of see him saying the same thing silently to himself while he lights his cigarette and just looks at her. And then when she gets out, all he says is that was quite a horse. (laughs) I will give you $5 for that horse. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he'd talk to people about that horse. Yeah. It's like, he can't even bring up like a, it's like he had to say something. He couldn't compliment her, so he has to compliment the horse in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he's like, he's admiring her in that moment. Like, yeah, this girl has the same, is made of the same sort of stuff that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. I do love the connection they have there. Yeah. Is there anything else that we want I, to talk I, about I, in terms of masculinity i i just want to like close a loop with it which is mm-hmm. i don't know it seems it seems like um both both rooster i mean rooster is a total jerk w- outside of his relationship with her and like encounter oh yeah her. he was he was a marauder for the south like he he burned and pillaged and raped like that's something that he says he never killed women and children so i mean he's done horrible shit and like he's somehow like he's wanted in the state of new mexico as a bank robber like he robbed banks and killed people to steal money. Like he hunts people down for doing the same thing now in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. This is not a guy who is typically a good like protagonist. Only in westerns, oh, yeah. man. O- uh, well, <laughs> only in westerns. O- only in westerns. Yeah, but but it's it's interesting because both of these guys they, they kind of appear as archetypes. Sort of like I, I mean I, I don't think there's any way that you could say Rooster Cogburn. It, like he seems to me to be sort of like taking on the mantle of, of the archetype of John Wayne, sort of anti-hero heroes, sort of anti-hero heroes. And Labeef is like, you know, the white knight cowboy, um, straight up white hat, like the Roy Rogers type. 
Um, but they're both very flawed in, in this movie is very concerned with showing their actual flaws in the way mm-hmm. that Unforgiven was, was concerned with it. But rather than taking just a hard line, like these are bad people, like this is a whole, the whole genre is evil. It makes a really fun movie. Mm-hmm. It makes these characters really fun. And it's interesting how this story uh, inserts this child, this young, this young girl into the story. And, and she becomes this neutralizing effect in, on, on both of them, turning them into sort of their, their best selves. Mm-hmm. It seems like to me, they become heroes by their encounter with her. Yeah. 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 I, I would agree with that. I'd say yeah. that that's, that's a depiction of masculinity. Men without women yeah. suck. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes kids it. bring something. Yeah. Yeah. Kids, kids and women <laughs> kind of help make, make them true dads because that's the ultimate dad or ultimate yeah. man. The dad. The dad man. The dad man. So speaking of dad men. <laughs> is this a dad movie? Um, sounds like, Mike. it sounds like Mike's thesis just now was that it definitely is. Yeah, it's, I think it's a bad movie. This movie's great. I really love it. And I'm really excited to show it to my kids. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, for all the reasons that I just said, that we've just talked about. Like, it's it's really, really fun. It's got some deep sort of questions and answers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things yep. and stuff and whatever. Liz, yep. is this a dad movie? I give this movie two dads up. Two dads up. Yes. <laughs> two dads. Uh, that means only two of us are up for this movie. Or three dads. Let's do three, three dads. dads. All right, there you go. Dads. <laughs> as far as we know. Yes. Well, I, I also am going to say it's definitely a dad movie. Like for growing up in the West and like the legacy of the Western is always going to be important to me. And I love it when something takes a different look at it in a different way. It helps me almost like reframe how, how I grew up in the ways that I used to think. And that's really important when I teach my, my kids things is where I came from and how to translate that into something, you know, better and more healthy. Not like I had a bad upbringing, but everyone needs to translate what they learned into something more healthy for their kids. Uh, I think that's universally true. And in a lot of ways, Westerns kind of are that journey for me because I grew up with so many of them. So yeah, it's, it's a dad movie and I can't wait to talk to my kids about, about what it all meant and, and why it's important to me. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. Yeah. I kind of have the same thing going on. This is definitely a dad movie. Can't wait to show it to my kids. And frankly, I just, I love this movie so much that I'm going to watch this movie regularly. And I want my kids to always associate the 2010 True Grit with, with me. I want them to think about that movie with me. Nice. Yeah. Like, I I think this is one of the first episodes that we've ever done where we haven't even like said anything bad about the movie. No. Yeah. I don't think we said a single (laughs) bad thing. No. Nothing bad. There's nothing bad to say. The, o- the only, only possible criticism if I'm reaching is I slightly prefer the way that John Wayne says, uh, fill your hands, you son of a bitch, to the way Jeff Bridges says it. Says it. Mm. It's like the only thing I could possibly think of. <laughs> only because when I was a kid, that was the most badass thing you could say. And there yeah. was very few things as shocking as the first time of seeing True Grit with Jeff Bridges and being like, what? That That's not right. You didn't say it right. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, I I like the way they both say it. Yeah, but hardly anything. I, bad sh- I shall not niggle. I shall not niggle. No, I don't think anybody was like a little. Not as much as Maddie, at least. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we can all niggle a little bit. 
Um, I've been trying to quote the movie as much as possible in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is definitely a dad movie. We're all huge fans of this one. And yeah, I'm really happy we're, I guess we're not concluding our modern Western series. We were going to with this movie, but we actually have another one coming up soon. A Uh, very special request. Very special request. And since we had no new releases that we wanted to do in the month of September, we said, absolutely, we will. Of course. It's going to be Tombstone. Tombstone! (laughs) Yeah. Can't wait. Hell's coming with us. That's right. We're going to have friend of the pod Isaac on there with us and uh, can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. He'll he'll be our Huckleberry for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Every day. Well, all right, guys. Uh, I think we're going to call it a night from all of us. I'm Jesse. I'm Mike. I'm Vito. And I'm Liz. Have a good night.